Hey, let's pray. God, I think of, again, how struck I am by the reality that you just don't need to fill in that blank. Um, that right now I am hungry, I am tired, uh, I am aware that I've had a long day. God, we could fill in our, that I am in a number of ways, but you're so great that you don't need to finish a sentence that with those two words, sentence is over. And so, Father, I just think of all those who couldn't be here with us tonight for um, Bonnie, who's uh, in the ER right now, just um, trying to get prepped for some surgery on Wednesday for um, each one of us that is just not here for good things, some of us not here for bad things, and even the stuff that we brought with us tonight, Jesus, I just ask that you just give us maybe a minute, just a second, Not to be without those things entirely, but maybe just to have just a few inches of emotional distance. God, we carry with us a ton of, to worry about, a ton to be angry about, a ton to be frustrated with, a ton to be disappointed about, a ton to be sad about. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would just give us a second. We pray all of this in the name of the one who walks with us always. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. My wife was just letting me know that I need to give her this water bottle because what will happen is I will now start teaching like this with a splashy water bottle, but I promise that I will set it down. Um, thanks, band. Awesome job, as always. Uh, welcome to Regen. My name, Regeneration, sorry. Regeneration was an, is a great name for about seven reasons. It's a bad name in that it's like 17 syllables. And so in our house, we've had to abbreviate. Uh, and so now it's just Regen. So welcome to Regen. My name's Kyle. I'm the pastor here. Super thrilled to have you with us. Um, if this happens to be your first time tonight, welcome. Super glad you're here. Don't leave without taking a mug from that. Oh, there it is. See, that's why I'm not supposed to have water bottles. Um, without taking a mug every time. Listen, we'll talk about this later. Um, please take a mug. We are, exciting fact, are on generation three of the regeneration mug. Uh, which means that we've done, gotten rid of 144 Regen mugs. Um, and so uh, please, if you haven't had a mug yet, uh, Zach actually had the idea that we should have set, saved some and then sold like collector sets, which would have been really awesome. But we have no more generation two, so it would be incomplete. Um, oh, I have one left. We have one collector set available for you. Um, hey, our one thing every month, we choose one thing at Regen uh, to do that will show people the love of Jesus. And this month, our one thing project is Operation Christmas Child. If you don't know what that is, we stuff a shoebox filled with toys and stuff that kids around the world need. And uh, an organization called Samaritan's Purse ships them everywhere. Next week is the last week to turn in a shoebox. I think we've got about six of them. So we'll pray over them next week and take them to the drop-off site for you. Although, fun fact, you can get a free Chick-fil-A sandwich you can't? Okay, never mind. I've given five people today like bad instructions. So they're going to show up at Chick-fil-A. So you at one time could have given your box to Chick-fil-A for a chicken sandwich. You can no longer do that. So don't do that. That'll be sad for you. Um, but that's our one thing project. We're ramping up into the Christmas season. Um, our Christmas Eve, 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 Eve 
uh, which is five days before Christmas Eve, will be on Sunday, December 20th. We're gonna pump it up, it's gonna be huge. So get excited about that. And starting in December, we're gonna have some really cool tools to be adding to the ways that we do good for the, our community. We're, um, as for tonight, we're in the midst of a three-week series on something that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of the loom, but the fruit of the Spirit. And so last week we talked about three of them, and this week we will talk about uh, three more, but I want to kind of pregame it with a few things, and we'll dive in to all that. Can I just pray one more time so we can just kind of get centered in this place? Father, as we come to your word, um, we know that this is everything that you've had to say to us. We, I used to sing a, church, a song in church growing up that said, what more can we say than to you he has said? So, Father, we just pray that we would be attentive tonight to your word, to what you have to say to us, that you'd refresh us through it and challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There's a short passage in Matthew, Matthew's gospel that just terrifies me on about seven different ways. It keeps me up at night sometimes when I think of people in my life, and it didn't last night, which was pretty great, but the text is this. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who, will a who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. It's, it's a striking passage that Jesus tucks in right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's terrifying because it tells us that it is possible to do outwardly Christian things without ever actually encountering Jesus. That there can be a separation in our hearts and in our minds and in our activity that even though we're doing these things, frankly, for Jesus, we never actually somehow come into contact with him. We do it without ever knowing him. And so there's this part that we could say, Lord, Lord, did I not talk about you a lot with my friends? Lord, Lord, I helped plant a church. Lord, Lord, um, I was in this Bible study or that. I, didn't I serve in this way or that? And yet Jesus can say, I never knew you. The things we do outwardly are tremendously important. Um, I don't have anything against small groups or Sunday school classes. I really don't have anything against regular church attendance because let's get real, that's where my livelihood comes from, okay? So feel free to keep coming. Uh, but the point is, there's something more than just what happens outwardly. Kyle standing in a garage does not make him a car. And... Uh, Kyle standing on the sideline uh, with the Ohio State Buckeyes does not make him their star quarterback. Uh, and that's especially because I throw a football like a girl. Not that there's anything wrong with throwing like a girl, sorry. Jesus isn't concerned with where you go to church or how often, he's not concerned with whether or not you do things right in the eyes of peers. What Jesus is concerned with is having your heart and what he intends to grow in that place. What Paul wants, what, what, what Jesus wants to grow in us, Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. It's the outcome or overflow of God working in your life, that this, as the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and works, 
Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control become more and more evident in us, that they become obvious in the way that we relate to others, obvious in the way that we interact with our daily lives, obvious to our friends, our families, our coworkers. This is the overflow of the Spirit working in our lives. And, and you just know, I, I have a friend that I've been hanging out with lately, and I keep describing him to my wife as he's just the real deal. He's humble and genuine and kind and others focused. And I frankly keep waiting for it to crack. I keep waiting to see the ugly. You know what I mean? Like how long until this is all a facade and you really are the jerk that everybody else is. But it's not, he's the real deal. And that's what God wants to build in us. That is the fruit of the spirit works in our lives. Something changes and people start to say about us, he's the real deal. She's the real deal. She really is as joyful as she seems. She really is as loving. She really is as gentle or faithful. But I think it's important when we talk about this idea, the fruit of the Spirit, I think it's important for us to talk for a second about the Holy Spirit because I think we kind of forget that the Holy Spirit is not just like a ghost or this impersonal like force thing. Every time I ever preach on the Holy Spirit, I really want to have a sheet with like the eye holes cut out because I think like that's what we think. I think we tend to think of the Holy Spirit not as God, not a person, not as someone who's interested in our lives. I mean, the Spirit is how God acts and works in the world now. The Spirit is Christ's very own Spirit through whom uh, God accomplishes his purpose in the world. And we tend to, like, associate the Holy Spirit with, like, oh, like, this person stood up in a crazy worship service and, like, spoke in a language I don't know, or, oh, he could, like, do a miracle, or Sometimes the TV preachers at night are the ones that talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but the fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. It is a he, not an it, and he, the Holy Spirit, is given to every believer in the moment they step across the line of faith. I use that language a lot, step across the line of faith. It's because I grew up hearing, like, have you asked Jesus into your heart, and that's confusing because, like, do I need to, like, carve a door out in there to get him in? Like, and then, you know, kids hear this, and their daddy gets a heart transplant. Well, does daddy need to ask Jesus into this heart? I mean, what does that mean? I like that language. Step across the line of faith. When you choose to join the way of Jesus, Paul says, and the scriptures teach, that the Holy Spirit, full weight of his person, is brought in and indwells you. Paul writes in Ephesians that it's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, found yourselves home free, home free, signed, sealed, delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. The Holy Spirit is given to every believer as like a down payment on an ongoing payment schedule that one day will lead us to glory. Um, The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, Philippians 2 says, for it is God that works in you both to will and to work to his good pleasure. Something happens to you when you step across the line of faith. It's crazy. You become different. You do. And not in like, see, sometimes it gets weird because people then feel like they have to talk weird or be weird. But here's the, I mean, here's the reality. Someone that steps across the line of, line of faith and really starts following Jesus, something about them changes because God is living inside of them and working in them in a way that other people can sense. Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with these things in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, and this is where we're going to spend our time together. Paul says in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, he says this, and I think this is going to be on page like, mm, seven of what? 703 of the Bible. 
that blue one underneath you, I can't speak to the red one, but 19 through 21 says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want us to do something unusual. Maybe you've never done this in church before. I, I want you to get into a group of three or four. So start doing that thing that you learned how to do in school where you like pick a group of three or four. And I want you to look at this list and I want you to share in that group of three or four which of these you most struggle with. I'm totally kidding. That is way too personal. Um, some people, I serve at church in the mornings too, and people like started moving. It was awesome. Lynn was there. I mean, they actually like got up and they were like, okay, I'll go do it. What? I thought, and Steph like even thought it was going to happen. And people like were being, they were so obedient. I couldn't believe it. Like people were getting up and moving. There was blood drained from all the blood in the room was near people's feet. You know what I mean? Nobody wanted to talk that like, but no, here's what I want to look at just briefly. And then I want to unpack one of these. Sometimes we do that at Regen, but it's like, what was your favorite Christmas present? It's never like that intense. Paul, I, I think it's interesting to note a couple of things here, that there's a few themes to the, this laundry list of what the Bible calls sin. There's sins of our sexuality that Paul talks about in terms of um, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. There's sins of darkness, namely sorcery. There's sins about the way that we treat one another, this idea of hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. There's sins of, en of like materialism in terms of envy and jealousy. There's sins of overindulgence, drunkenness, and wild parties. And Paul, like, I love this, just in case he like thinks of anything like, in case we think of something he can't, he just throws on the end, like, oh, and other sins like these, just like, just in case you come up with something else. And so Paul says two interesting things here. First of all, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. I think there's this idea that somehow the church is like kind of get around that when Jesus gets involved in our lives, like there goes all the fun, right? I mean, there, that sucks for you. Like no more fun. Like I'll let y'all sit around and very quietly read our Bibles. Like it, and, and the problem is when Christ comes, he comes to set us free because we're already following something. There's already a hook in our mouth. And the hook in our mouth is this list. Like the problem with sin is that it carries us away. Um, that a little, a little toe stuck in the water followed by a foot, followed by a leg soon leads to you drowning. I mean, you're just totally carried away. This is why it's important that Paul says earlier in Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free because he's trying to free us from this. But also notice that he says, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what that's not saying. If you've stepped across the line of Jesus, uh, the line of faith, if you have asked Jesus into your heart and you still struggle with envy, it's not saying, well, too bad, you're not getting into heaven, so nice try. Because there's room in the Christian life for us to fight sin. That's kind of what it's all about. But what it is saying is that anyone who makes a practice of living this way, anyone living that sort of life consistently, they're outside the boundaries. You can't serve both Jesus and this other thing. And, and I want to talk about how the fruits of the Spirit, particularly gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are the antidotes to those things. But I wanted to take a second and talk about one that I think 
is particularly untalked about in churches, which is this idea of drunkenness. Um, which this is, this is new content, Lynn, so get excited. Um, this is brand new stuff. Paul kind of ends this list with, you know, he has a problem. He says that, the, that those who follow the desires, their sinful nature, end up in drunkenness and wild parties. And so I, I think the typical response in church when it comes to alcohol is don't do it. Especially if you were raised in church, you probably have this sense of like alcohol is a no-no. And so we don't talk about it. We don't talk about alcohol. We don't talk about, like, is it possible to drink responsibly? We just say the answer is no, which is when, that's when, like, you have conversations happening in church, or we had some people over our house, and they said, like, we were going to bring you a bottle of wine, but we didn't know if that was okay. You know, and so now we have the people of Jesus living in secrecy with one another, because we have, like, the secret group sometimes drinks, but the public group over here that does not ever, and, and this is something that's played out in our marriage because my wife was raised in a family that like, you just never, I mean, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus is you just never, because in her dad's mind, one little drink and you're an alcoholic. And, and, and I think it's out of a sensitivity to people that um, have, that struggle with addiction to alcohol that then there develops a culture in the church of because some of us are weak in that area, none of us really participate in that. Um, but what was inter- it was an interesting cultural moment, though, for me when I went to Chicago. I was a student at Moody Bible Institute. I was living under a covenant, which meant that while I was a student at the school, even on breaks, I couldn't drink all four years. And, uh, but the church, I helped plant a church in Chicago called the Painted Door, and any time we had small group, there were bottles of wine. Which, like, I, I don't think that happens here, you know? And so there's just a very, very different culture. And so I kind of wanted to take some time to unpack some of this a little bit. Um, And then we'll talk about the fruits of the Spirit. But what's interesting is that throughout the Bible, the Bible names alcohol as a gift from God, and it's good. Uh, There's this verse in Psalm 104 that says, uh, God's given man, God gives wine to mankind to make their hearts glad. You know, wine's heart Makes, um, um, makes them glad. In Isaiah 25, the Lord promises a feast at the end of days that when the Lord brings judgment for his people, it, it, the text says he will prepare a feast of clear, well-aged wine and choice meats. That in Revelation talks about it, the wedding supper of the lamb. We're going to have this big dinner together. And the text is saying there's going to be filet and there's going to be alcohol to go with it is, is what the text is saying. But then, on the other hand, oh, and there's also this great verse where Paul instructs Timothy, who's his protege, 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul says, make sure you drink some wine because you have, like, belly issues. And so a common, like, uh, medical, like, go-to at this time in history was, like, well, alcohol is antiseptic, so you got, like, something on there, let's just drink some wine, let's pour some wine on it, let's, let's dump some wine. I mean, this was kind of how it worked. But then the Bible's also pretty clear that it's kind of, and you feel like you're some commercial for Bud Light when you start talking about, like, drink responsibly, right? Because there you go. Like, and even, like, have you noticed how gambling, like, casino posters do this? Like, it's this big poster of, like, like, why you want to come to, like, the Racino, but on the bottom it says, have a gambling problem? Call this number. You know what I mean? So I'm like, you kind of, they're kind of, it's just an interesting tension, but Paul also, and, and throughout the Bible, it has a problem with getting carried away by drinking, So Proverbs 23 describes a person who has too much affection for alcohol. This is a great verse. It says, don't gaze at the wine. 
seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. It's almost this language of obsession. And if you talk to someone who has battled alcoholism, I mean, that's just it. I remember Leo McGarry in an episode of The West Ring talking about it's not, it's about the feel of the glass in your hand and the sound the ice makes. I mean, all these pieces. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, those led astray by drink cannot be wise. And Proverbs is a book about why we all want to be wise. And so here's rule one. If you ever have had a problem with alcohol, then you shouldn't drink it. Um, And for the sake of full disclosure, because most of you know this about me, I do drink. I enjoy responsibly. The problem is that in the church, because we want to be respectful of those who can't drink or don't because it's not safe for them to do so, or because some just have this conscientious objective to drinking, we fall silent on the issue. And so again, then I have a person in my house saying, we were going to bring you a bottle of wine, uh, but we didn't know if you would want that. And what I don't like about that is it divides the body of Christ. It, It creates secrecy. And Jesus never tells us to live in secrecy with one another. Instead, we're supposed to speak the truth. But those, because then at the background of this culture is this idea, if you do drink, you're gonna get yelled at. Um, And so full disclosure, I I didn't actually even preach this part of my sermon at the church in the morning. I had another portion that I think was a little more relevant to them, but also because culturally, this is just not something you talk about. And so hear me trying to wrestle through this. This may be even be writing my sermon as I preach it, but here's the deal. God doesn't want our community to be secret. God doesn't want us to be weird. He doesn't want us to be judgmental towards one another. He doesn't want us to yell at one another. Um, But God also has a problem with drunkenness. And that's the issue, is that Christians go beyond what Scripture teaches. And so if God has a problem with drunkenness, he must have a problem with every kind of fermented beverage ever created. And that's not what the text says. And when we don't talk about drinking, this, this is where it is. So here we go. We don't disciple people who drink. That's the problem, right? We've now taken this part of a person's life, which depending on how you're raised and who your friends are, this is just what you do when you're together. We've now taken that out of a person's spiritual formation. And that's not what God wants. And so what is, so my questions now are, after rambling for like 37 minutes, is what is God's problem with drunkenness? If God's okay with people drinking, enjoying responsibly, what is God's problem with drunkenness? I think a big piece of it is that when we're, we're called to live in community with one another, as the people of Jesus, I'm, I am united to you Other people have stepped across the line of Jesus. We're a family, we're a house that's being built together. And when I am, and and as a part of that family, I am to be always ready, always on, ready to go, on your mark, get set, mm, to serve you, to love you, to encourage you, to speak the truth to you, to hear you, to treat you respectfully, to treat you kindly. And when I am drunk, that is not exactly my highest priority anymore. I am not at my absolute best to love you, to speak truth to you, to care for you, to enjoy one another's presence, to serve you, because at that point I'm kind of sluggish or foggy. If anything, sometimes then drunkenness brings out, if anything, kind of unleashes your sin nature a little bit more because you lose self-control. And so then you become harsh with one another. That's when the jokes move from like, 
we're all laughing together to we're all laughing at someone. That's when the language becomes harsh. And so drunkenness is something that exists outside the realm of the people of Jesus because it limits my ability to be fully available to love you. That's just the thing I've been thinking about is it makes me unable to love you fully as I'm supposed to. And I also can't help but wonder if God doesn't want us to be drunk, and for that matter, this really also applies to like getting high. He, do, he wants to be in consistent communication with us. God wants us at any moment to be able to hear him. There's this great story in the book of First Samuel that Samuel, who's a prophet when he's a little boy, is living in the temple. And uh, in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he hears someone calling his name. And uh, Samuel thinks it's the high priest who he's kind of being raised by. And so he runs to the high priest. He said, yeah, you called me. And here's the interesting thing. The high priest, who's a, a known drunkard, says, it wasn't me that called you. Go back to sleep. And so Samuel goes back to bed and then again wakes up and hears Samuel, Samuel. And so he runs back to the priest and the priest, he says, I think you called my name. And the priest said, again, the priest is drunk. No, you didn't hear anything. Go back to sleep. Samuel a third time. The Bible likes threes. Samuel a third time. Samuel, Samuel, he runs. And suddenly, like, the priest comes up out of his stupor to say, I think that's Yahweh calling your name. So the next time you, you hear the name, you need to say, here's your Hebrew word for the night, hineni. I love that. When you, when you go to shul, when you go to Hebrew school, that's what you say. You say, and when you take Hebrew in seminary, Kyle Tennant, hineni, I'm here. So finally, Samuel says, he hears Samuel, Samuel, and he says, Hineni. The Lord at any moment could speak something to us. Kind of goes into community. I mean, you could be in community with someone, and the Lord kind of says, hey, you need to encourage this person that way, but the Lord just wants to say something to you. And when you're drunk, the volume level on God's voice goes down. And we're no longer consistent in communication with him. And, and then we're no longer even able to represent God's character of the world. God is never, Yahweh in the Old Testament's never pictured as drunk. This is really interesting because pretty much every other pagan god like gets drunk and parties. The Greek gods are notorious for getting drunk and like go stealing a woman and having his way with her. And yet God is, Yahweh and throughout the Bible is never a god who loses control. He's always entirely self-possessed. It doesn't mean that God isn't a God of partying. It doesn't mean that God isn't a God of celebration. It doesn't mean that God is a God of joy, but he is always fully at his best. He is never out of control, which is good news. This is why it was good news to the Greeks because they're like, oh, is Zeus drunk today? I don't know if he's gonna do what I wanna do. Better throw an extra sacrifice on him. The good news of Jesus is that our God is the same. Not only in this day-to-day -day sameness, but in the same of like, I can trust the consistency of his character, which is why one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. Um, I, don't, I think I might be the first pastor that has ever preached on this that I know of. So this may have stirred something up and some sort of disagreement or frustration or maybe even disappointment in me, and I wanna have that conversation, but I think it's just important in this kind of a community for me to just, because some of you are at my house and I, offer you a glass of wine. And so um, it's important for me to be kind of symmetrical in this way. But I think it's just, what happens is that when we're drunk or high or whatever, we lose, we lose our freedom to love one another. And we can kind of argue the finer points of how much is too much and does one even limit you to such a way or but I think as a general rule, the, 
the warning scripture has is it's actually in Ephesians 5.18. This is interesting. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. If you're gonna be drunk on anything, be drunk on the Holy Spirit. I had a pastor friend say to me this weekend, you know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of Christians that aren't drunk on wine, but I also know a lot of Christians that aren't drunk on the Holy Spirit either. <laughs> so what does God wanna produce in you? I thought that was funny, but I guess it's just a pastor joke, sorry. So, guys, I got so many Bible college jokes I could tell you, they're terrible. So Paul says, this is what God wants to produce. And we did the first three last week, love, joy, peace. We're gonna hit patience, kindness, goodness next week, because I think that'll sum up some things faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are what I want to hit today. And next week, I may also hit on that. Why isn't gratefulness on there? Isn't that interesting? If you've kind of been around, why isn't gratefulness a fruit of the Spirit? I think that's fascinating. Anyway, maybe that's just what Kyle thinks about. Here's what God wants to produce in you. God wants to produce in you faithfulness. Uh, I posted it, I think, on Regen's Facebook page this week. Tim Keller, who's an author I particularly like, did this list of each of these fruits of the Spirit where he defined it, he said what its opposite is, and then he said how we counterfeit it, like how we fake faithfulness. Keller defined faithfulness as loyalty and courage to be principle-driven, committed, utterly reliable, true to one's word. What Jesus wants to craft in you is faithfulness, faithfulness to what you know to be true, faithfulness to your own truest self, faithfulness to him, faithfulness to your principles. This is where I think the drunkenness piece comes in, because I don't know anybody that doesn't get drunk under some sort of social pressure right, especially like with people my age. I don't know that drinking ever doesn't have this tone of like do it to kind of keep up because this is what we're doing. And so it's a challenge to our faithfulness, it's a challenge to our principle drivenness, to our commitment, Um, and it makes us not utterly reliable. Paul wants us to be faithful. The counterfeit of faithfulness is only ever loving but never saying what's true. We talked about this in Ephesians that we're called to speak the truth in love. Faithfulness would be like, I don't wanna anger Sierra, so I'm never gonna say the true thing to her. Uh, Instead, I'm only gonna like love, 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 and hopefully that, and here's the crazy thing, at that point, it's no longer me being faithful to her, it's me trying to manipulate her to be faithful to me. That's the danger, right? And so when I am only love without truth, we're no longer being faithful to anything, now we're just manipulating each other. So the question is, maybe there's a question, who am I trying to manipulate? or whose voice am I hearing more loudly than I should? If faithfulness has to do with being principle-driven, and remember, this is what Jesus wants to craft in us. When Jesus says, those who actually do my will are the ones that, uh, that will enter the kingdom of heaven, that I won't say, depart from me, I never knew. He's looking for people of faithfulness. He's looking for people of commitment. He's also looking for people of gentleness. Again, just talking about the drunkenness thing for a minute, I've never really met too many drunk, gentle people. It tends to bring out a crassness. Paul in Philippians says, let everything, everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Why? Because the Lord is coming soon. I think there could be this tendency, this idea of like Jesus is coming back at any second. He could come back right now. Or now. Or now. Don't want to have to work on a sermon next week. So, or now. Okay, now. And so instead of steamrolling people because Jesus is coming, I don't have to care. It's, it's we care for people because he's coming at any moment and might catch us not being caring almost. 
Tim Keller says gentleness is being self-forgetful. And have you ever just met somebody who, the way they speak to you, the way they look at you with their face, the way their eyes look, the lines on their face, you just know that they're not even really thinking about themselves in that moment. They're totally on you. And there's such freedom in that. There's such freedom in that. Gentle people, when they speak the truth, when they say something, a mentor of mine, his name is Mike, one of the most gentle men I know. And Mike has a lot of rain in my life to kind of speak truth to me. And there's been some times where Mike has said something to me. And I mean, it was like harsh. But you know what I felt? I was like, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's what gentleness does. He's so self-forgetful that it's not about his own agenda. What's interesting is the opposite of gentleness then is this superiority. Mike has never said, I'm smarter than you, so you listen here, Sonny. Who am I thinking more about myself than others? Self-control. I mean, this gets down to it, right? I think self-control might be the fruit of the Spirit, the most common one. In our house, we eat more apples than anything else. I don't know why, it's just what we do. My wife's allergic to bananas. I mean, on it goes. I think, self, I think self-control is the apple of the fruit of the Spirit family. It's just the most necessary staple. If you have self-control down, you've got it all down. Self-control is just needed for life because, like, I have Amazon Prime, baby. I love just click two-day shipping. It's there. You know what I'm saying? I love instant gratification. I love getting what I want, what I want now. I get mad when I'm sitting in the Starbucks line for more than, like, mm, 2.5 minutes because I want, what, I want that pumpkin spice latte right now. And self-control is what limits and curbs our ability and our desire to, ha- to be instantly gratified, It's the number one thing I think people under 35 struggle with is instant gratification. Self-control stops us. Self-control, Tim Keller, I think it's always says, self-control is the ability to choose the important thing over the urgent. Oh, so many important things seem urgent, which is why I get to the end of my week and I'm like, oh, it's Saturday and I'm writing my sermon on my day off because everything else seems so flashy and big and urgent and I needed to get that done, but Paul says that we're to be self-controlled. I think it's interesting that the dominant metaphor for spiritual growth in the Bible is plant life, which I always take as encouraging because most plants um, take a while to grow. Most plants take some time. I think it's also helpful, though, that when Paul contrasts these things, he's talking about the fruit that God does want to grow in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, but, he, but there's these weeds that grow up, this divisiveness, this envy, this jealousy, self-importance, outbursts of anger, divisiveness. We had uh, at our last place, some of you have been there, when you'd come up the sidewalk to our front door, you would kind of, we were at a condo, you would walk by this kind of like fenced off area, and the fence only hit like about right here, and behind that was kind of hiding our air conditioning units. That's thoughtful of them. Here's what was not thoughtful, was that the first summer we lived there, all of a sudden, I look out that window one day, which is not a window that I was looking out, and there is a weed like growing this much past this fence. I mean, it was a weed that was almost as tall as I am, And I went out there with a pair of scissors because I was like, what else do you do? And I'm like hacking at it at the roots. I think it broke the pair of scissors. It was disgusting. And 
I had seen that weed once before. I thought, I got to get out there and spray that. I got to get out there and pull it. Well, you know, you forget. Da, 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 da. The problem with weeds is they take no time to grow. And the problem with weeds is that they multiply quickly. Paul's warning against these things of the sinful nature that is because we tolerate weeds. There's a front bed that I have that I've been tolerating weeds in. And I tolerated one weed, and after a week or th- you know, a week, I was then tolerating three weeds, and then I was tolerating seven and now I'm tolerating like 12. Thank you, Jesus, that we had a frost because I don't have to deal with it now. Um, adulthood is hard. And um, see, we tolerate these things in our lives. And when we do, it's kind of over here in our peripheral. You know, we're not really looking at it. We're kind of aware. And before we know it, when we look back, we've got this huge problem. My question for you is if your soul were a garden, and God wanted you to cultivate in that things like love and joy and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, how weedy is it? How's your garden? What weeds are you tolerating that threaten to choke out the fruit that God wants to produce in us? I think what we do is we play games with sin, we toy with it. And so we kind of poke at it and we play with it just a little bit. Not a lot. We're not, we're not totally addicted to this. We're not totally given over to that. We're not totally this person, but, but we don't mind toying with it. We don't mind tolerating it because we think we got it over here. We, we think we've got it under control. Can I tell you, the very minute that you think you are most under control is the very moment that you have totally lost any semblance of control. How's your garden Let's pray. God, we confess that we tolerate sin. We confess that we tolerate those things that you just don't have for us, that you don't want for us, and we're sorry. We're sorry for being lackadaisical. There's a word I learned in fifth grade spelling. But we are. And so we've neglected that which is better. So instead of pursuing love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. We've pursued lesser things. God, give us a bigger vision of you tonight, and give us the strength to battle and yank those weeds. We might even need your help to get it at the root. But God, create in us more of that love those things that the spirit wants to work in us help us to be those people that don't just do the outward things but that that from the heart love and serve you pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might become to us not only the body and blood of christ but if they could become some sort of spiritual roundup help it to put to death some things we pray this now in jesus name amen At Regen, we always build in a time to respond to God. Every week we respond by giving, and every week we respond by taking communion. And we're going to do both of those things a little differently. So let's not be church people who freak out about change, okay? So um, what you can do is um, I've asked two people to come help me serve communion, and they're going to kind of stand on either side of me here. And so I'll give you the piece of bread, and then you can come to, say, Steph over here and dip your piece of bread in the cup. Your $20 word for that is intinction. 
dip that piece in the cup, eat it, and then if you happen to be giving tonight, if you wanna fuel what we're doing, we've got a great December one thing plan that's gonna take some finances. Um, you can drop that envelope or whatever you're giving in this basket or the one on that wall. Um, and what we always say at communion is that this is how God puts us back together. It's how he refreshes us, it's how he encourages us. And so um, the table is open to everyone. So um, as the band plays and sings, um, come forward, the table is open. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall.
this really short letter at the end of the New Testament called Jude, and there's this great prayer that the author says, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away. Some translations say stumbling. And will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time in the present and beyond all time. So glad that you are here tonight. If you happen to be a guest, don't forget to take your mug. We have some pumpkin roll that is pretty nice that I encourage just stick around. Um, also, we're a new church. We share this space with another church, and so we'll have to do some cleanup. Don't you be getting ideas to be helpful until about 710, all right? Otherwise, you need to talk to somebody, get to know them, ask them questions. You're loved. We'll see you next week.